Welcome to Live Well, Leave Well, a podcast from Singapore Hospice Council. I'm Sharon Chen, and together with Hospice Council's Executive Director, Bi Hia, we're going to look at different values of palliative care in each episode. The theme for this episode is dignity. We're going to explore what a dignified farewell means to us, the importance of maintaining your sense of self, identity and dignity at the end of life. Now, palliative care works towards providing holistic care and we're going to try explaining how this helps preserve dignity for the patient. This means putting an emphasis on respect, autonomy, empowerment and communication. You might ask, what would encompass a loss of dignity in death and dying? Dignity is displayed when the patient is given a voice and their wishes are respected. Palliative care should provide that space for the patient to communicate their wishes because for everyone, dignity means different things. There is such diversity and subjectivity in categorizing dignity such that there is no one standard form of a dignified death, which makes for an interesting challenge for healthcare professionals to navigate. In this episode on dignity, you're going to hear from three people who share their views on the question, what does a good death mean to you? Our first guest might sound familiar. This voice has graced some of the best commercials on TV and radio over the years. He's narrated many award-winning documentaries for National Geographic and Discovery Channel, and he's an accomplished stage actor. Hi, I'm Ramesh Panikkar. I'm an executive producer a writer, a creative director, a voice talent, and an occasional stage actor. One of the things I've done professionally as part of a job was to promote hospice care and palliative care in a campaign that ran about 10 years ago. So I've been involved in this idea of hospice care and the value hospice care can bring to both the dying and to the next of kin for a long time. And I sincerely believe in it because you don't want to leave the planet without dignity. And pain is not a very dignified thing. Uh, Now, Ramesh, can you share with us, when did you start your caregiving journey? So the caregiving thing goes back a ways. But the journey got intense when my mother was diagnosed with cancer. It was already at an advanced stage and she did try and fight it. But The prognosis was that she had a year left. The thing is, we look at death as a necessary part of the process of life. So much of this is psychological and emotional bits that we kind of came to grips with over time. I say we because it's, you know, all of us who are looking after her, my brothers, my sisters-in-law, my wife, and the rest of the extended family. The thing is, my mom... She didn't want to die, but she had prepared for it. So that was of help to us. She knew exactly what she wanted her funeral to be like. Yes, sometimes I think people don't want to think about this until it's too late. Can you share what kind of preparation she did? Everything. Everything was in a file, very detailed, very organized. And it made our duty of looking after her a little easier. At that point, you want the person to be comfortable. You want the person to use the resources that are available here. My mom was initially on home hospice care when she was given about a year to live. She didn't last out the year. I think within a month and a half, the cancer spread quite dramatically and she passed in April. So it was not very long a period that she was on home hospice care. 
but it was comforting to the family to know that she was. After she stopped fighting it, it was a comfort to her as well. Because they look after us as well, look after the emotional impact of losing someone or preparing to lose someone. And for the patient, palliative care, very important. Because you don't want the indignity of pain. With my mom, while chemotherapy made her uncomfortable, gave her discomfort, I don't think the cancer in itself caused the kind of anguish one would associate with it. I mean, she was in pain, but she had a fantastic palliative doctor. She had very good care. So that kind of helped my mom because you're not dealing with the anguish. You're not dealing with that physical pain because you already have mental and emotional and spiritual issues to look into. But I think with hospice care, with palliative care, they cover all these areas if you let them. They have all kinds of programs and exercises to help you come to grips as best as you can with your eventual demise. And that's just for the patient. They also help the caregivers. So it is not a solo journey. It's something that the whole family goes through. More people need to talk about this. They need to address the fact that we're all going to die. Let's do it with some grace, with as little pain as possible, with as little mental and physical and emotional suffering as possible. It would be something I would encourage families to talk about. Definitely. Well, being a caregiver can be a tough job because of the toll it can take on you. How did you and your family handle caring for your mother? It's a tough job for a caregiver because you find yourself between a rock and a hard place. And if you don't look after yourself, then you carry that trauma of looking after someone else long after they're gone. So self-care is very important. There are resources for this. People don't always feel they should reach out for these resources, which is wrong because they're there to help you. If you're in for a long haul, that it's going to be a long process till the end, you need to ensure that you are of sound mind and body. So looking after yourself is important. Otherwise, look, resentment may set in, and you don't want that because it's no one's fault that an individual is dying. Being able to look after that person does entail being able to look after yourself. And I know friends who have just lost themselves to the care of their loved ones. When that journey is over, they're kind of lost because they've suddenly lost their purpose and it takes a bit of time to find their feet again. You need to determinately look after yourself so that you can be there for your loved one who is terminal. Now, this episode asks the question, what does a good death mean to you, you being the patient? Can you tell me about how she passed? When she passed, she was at peace. She was surrounded by her closest blood relatives, my my brothers, myself, and her two sisters. It was very gentle, and there was no rasping, there was no death rattle. It was just a gentle breath in, and we didn't even know she breathed out. But that was her last breath. It was very gentle. She even wrote her own eulogy, which we used in the obituary. Preparing in that way helps the next of kin, those she leave behind, because that's a very stressful time. But knowing that everything is there, she wants this done, let's just try and do all of this. My mom had prepared the details of what she wanted for a funeral well before she was even ill. It's something, and it's not just, I, I know relatives of mine who do that. I have my own exit folder. 
when the time comes, just open that folder and everything I want done will be laid out. Of course, you don't have to follow that, but I'm hoping that it will make life easier. I don't want too much of a fuss, so I put that in there. If there's going to be music, what music I want played. I don't want to leave the planet giving more stress to my loved ones than they would already feel. And that should be the thinking, prepared. You don't think about yourself then. You think about the people you leave behind. And very often these rituals of funerals and whatnot are for those people. So make it as pleasant as possible for them. And that's why you plan ahead. I started planning about maybe 10, 15 years ago. So I would start adding a song to my playlist. Oh, I want this. I don't want that. I'll change my mind sometimes. We just don't want, at that point of stress, to be any more stress for anyone. We came into this world kind of uninvited. We just showed up and we're leaving. Perhaps just leaving the way you want might be one way to look at it. And I've seen in my work in this area, I've spoken to some interesting people with some interesting ways of even their eulogies. They write them well in advance and they're funny and they're, they reflect the personality of the person that once was. And maybe not to take things so seriously. I, in particular, I would suggest, if you haven't, read Khalil Gibran on death. He writes so eloquently and lyrically and beautifully how one should look at death. That's a bit of poetry I send to people who have lost their loved ones, whom I think will not be offended by it. Not talking about it is not going to make it not happen. So talk about it, plan for it, and kind of embrace it so that it is as pleasant a journey as can be. Wow, thank you for sharing that. That is very beautiful. Thank you to Ramesh for sharing. It's such a gift for family and friends when a patient does make plans for their passing to make that process of leaving smoother. Agree totally. It is important for the patient to know his or her options and decides on preferences and to share it with the family. This eases the burden, especially from the loved ones. Unfortunately, not many people are able to do what the late mother of Ramesh did. We do hope a more deaf-literate population will see more following her example. Our next guest is Grace Sim, an occupational therapist at Dover Park Hospice, one of our members. She's been in palliative care, or PEL care for short, for 14 years. Now, Grace, what brought you to PEL care? I started off working with the elderly, geriatrics, and I find it very meaningful to journey with people at the end of life. My mum set a good example. We used to stay at Chinatown area and she worked nurse neighbours towards the end of life when there's nobody until they pass on. It's a very rewarding feeling to journey with people in a time where they are most vulnerable. Could you tell us, what does a dignified farewell mean to you? For me, having a dignified farewell really is to have a closure for the important things in life so that I don't have baggage left to carry. If at a point where my health is deteriorating and I'm trying to cope with symptoms of physical challenges, then I don't want to have any more psycho-emotional burdens to carry any further. It's good if I have closure for the things that are significant in my life. To be comfortable physically is very important. To be without pain and any other uncontrolled symptoms like vomiting, swelling or things like that 
And I'm really thankful that in palliative care, the medical professionals are very good at helping patients to control other symptoms. So I think I can look forward to having a comfortable physical death. To me, it's very important to be clean and presentable so that visitors who come to my bedside will feel pleasant. Sometimes it's quite sad for patients who may have tumours that grow on the outside of their body. Patients with that struggle a lot of time with dignity. They feel embarrassed when people come into their space and maintain my hygiene. I used to joke with my son. I say, mum always got white hair. So even when I'm end of life, please colour my hair. <laughs> so I want to look like proper and uh, well-groomed. Last but not least is I like to be respected for my choices and decisions when I still have the mental capacity. A lot of well-meaning family, they cook soup, they bring the best, most expensive bird nests and all that. But if I don't have an appetite, I don't want to eat or anything, please don't feel rejected. It's not about me not accepting your, your love. It's, it's just about me not being able to swallow or, or I might puke when I eat. Now, palliative care works towards providing holistic care. Uh, how does this preserve dignity for patients? Healthcare professionals not only focus on what we do best in our respective fields, we are also mindful of how our interventions might impact other areas of patients' life, and then we will communicate with the multidisciplinary team. So take for example, during a physical rehab session, the patient may share with us that she wished to reconcile with an estranged son. Then we will try to find out more details and alert our social worker colleagues about it. So here we practice very much a holistic but also transdisciplinary skills. Meaning as an OT, I might also prescribe a walking aid, which is usually a PT job and I help to ambulate patients. Example, I do a deep tissue massage to help them reduce edema, which also can be a PT or OT work. I might help thicken fluids before offering patients drinks, which is usually a nursing work. I might use motivational interview skills to help pace patients as they grieve, which is usually a creative therapist's work. Now, why do we do all this? Because when a patient talks to us, and in that moment when their needs arise, I want to be able to meet their needs in a very timely manner. I can't tell patients, oh, wait, wait, don't tell me about this. Let me go tell social worker and she will see you next Tuesday. I want to be there for the patient very timely, and therefore, I practice all these holistic transdisciplinary skills while respecting professional boundaries. So, what would encompass a loss of dignity in death and dying? I've seen quite a number of patients who unfortunately were not able to maintain dignity towards the end of life, including cases where people lost mental capacity. Towards the end, they might get very confused, very delirious, and accompanying that a lot of behavioural issues. In Dover Park, I'm so ever thankful that we have a no-restraint policy. And if patients get very confused or climbing out of bed or trying to harm themselves, we do have nurses or volunteers who will sit next to them and just make sure they don't do all this. So research has shown that patients with head and neck tumour 
more than 40% of them actually are very depressed and some even suicidal because below the level of tumour, so their head and neck, they are still well. So they walk around, they can do their daily activities, but they can't even go out of the house because with this mess on their face, they themselves are so embarrassed about whatever is happening to their body. That's where we Pelcare has got the most privileged position to be able to cushion all these people from all these undignified scenarios. Now, could you tell us about your day-to-day activities as an occupational therapist in Pelcare? Usually, we will work at maximising patients' function in their activities of daily living, ADL in short. And we want to enable them to fulfil their life roles. However, in the palliative care setting, occupational therapy looks pretty different to the OTs who work in the acute settings or in the community hospital doing rehabilitation. And this is mainly due to the different needs that patients have when they come to us. Most of them are either chair-bound or bed-bound. And a great majority have great difficulty continuing with their roles as a mother, as a grandfather, etc. In Pell Care, our approach is no longer restoration. It is more supportive care. So we support patients to still be able to do activities that are meaningful to them, that are purposeful. And we do it either through environmental setup, providing assistive equipment, facilitation, and I still help them to find purpose. So that, again, is dignity care. And what about activities? Are you able to incorporate that into your pal care? A lot of us Asians, when we are young, we work so hard and we forget about leisure. But when we are at the end of life, we kind of saying that, oh, how I wish I had learned how to paint that I always wanted to. Okay, then let's do painting. Nothing is too late. Leisure can be very therapeutic for the patient to still be able to create something that is aesthetically nice that they can leave as a legacy. So I have little craft sewing projects that the grandmothers uh, make, little cute handbags and all that that they give to their grandchildren as something they can use to carry to school and things like that. I have elderly patients who potted plants so that when they pass on, the children bring home again as a legacy. Well, it's really so eye-opening to learn how much occupational therapists can do for their patients. We train volunteers and they are doing different things at the bedside for the patient. I have one case who, again, nose cancer spread to the eye. And she said, Miss Grace, I'm so embarrassed. I said, what happened? She said, I'll press the call bell middle of the night. The nurse will come and I said, may I know what time is it? Then the nurse will say, oh, it's 3.30 a.m. Then she said, sorry, sorry, disturb you. Because they are blind, they get no orientation, they can't see the sunrise. She said, I'll press again. And then the nurse will come and say, may I know what time is it? Then the nurse will say, oh, uh, it's only 5.30, not yet breakfast. Then she said, sorry, sorry. So when I heard about it, I said, hey, there is such a thing as a talking clock. And I get a talking clock. And from there on, she was like, I don't have to burden the nurse anymore. So this is dignity for them, right? If you have a patient who is showing signs of stress once they're admitted, what can you do to soothe their anxiety? Anxiety comes from many different triggers, especially when they're breathless. They can get very anxious. Death anxiety. I've got patients who don't want to sleep because they're so scared. They close their eyes, they will never wake up, never open it again. We do a lot of deep breathing technique. 
We do guided imagery for them to relax. Every moment matters, you know. So long as there's a breath in you, there's a soul in you, every moment matters and we'll do our utmost best to support you. What is your final act of preserving dignity? Oh, we have this thing called the honour walk. It's really a dignity till they come out of Dover Park door. So after a patient passes away, the nurses clean them up and change their clothings. The staff will be informed when the undertaker comes. Then we will line the corridor on both sides. And the patient will be moved from their room where they pass on in their bed and the family will be following and staff will be at both sides and as their body pass, some might bow ahead and if I know the family, I will have eye contact and then I nod and it's a very dignified way of sending patient off. It's not going out of Dover Park in a casket. It's going off with people who care for them, people who love them and serve them. And many a time we see tears not just in the family's eyes, we see tears in the staff's eyes as the body passes. It's really remarkable how much an occupational therapist can help patients once they're admitted to a hospice. The multidisciplinary team is a very important hallmark of palliative care, regardless of the discipline. At the core of the professional team is the patient's and the family's well-being. That is something the team would try their best to protect. Our final guest for this episode is a palliative care nurse, Nancy Tan. Over the years, she has tried her best to fulfill her patients' final wishes, providing them as dignified a farewell as possible. Nancy, could you tell us about how you got your start in palliative care? When I joined nursing, my mother always very upset that why do I want to join nursing? She felt that nursing is a, a very stressful job. She is not keen and she don't like the 24 hours duty, the night duty, so every time she cannot sleep because of me. But I told mommy, I see how my father suffer when he was dying of cancer. So I pick a vow to be a nurse. Every patient to me is human, okay? We all are made with skin and flesh and blood. So when a person, when they are sick, they lost their dignity. They lost their self-esteem. Once they are struck with this illness, they are really like... I am lost. Now, palliative care is known for its multidisciplinary, holistic approach to patient care. In your role, what are some of the day-to-day activities? I am more focused on terminal year patient. So in my daily role, normally I call the patient. I will attend to him. See first in the morning and I follow up. Also, giving them symptom relief, like breathlessness. When they're overloaded with fluid, we give medicine to relieve and follow up ensure that they are stable through the night. And one day I can see about five to six patients. Most people wish to pass away in the comfort and familiarity of their home, surrounded by their loved ones. However, to achieve this is not so easy. Aside from making sure that they are as physically comfortable as possible, the presence of family and friends is equally, if not more important to the patient. I'm sure this is something that many people hope to have in their final moments, to have the chance to say their last goodbyes. Recently, just two weeks ago, I have a patient. The hospital called me that he wants to be at home, at peace. No more injection, no more treatment. Apparently, the patient is not able to eat anymore, but she's able to acknowledge 
eye contact with you, but can't verbalize. I know that it's a matter of one or two days because she's no more eating. So I asked the family, is there anybody missing that she has not seen? Then apparently, she's waiting for a daughter who's in Canada. The daughter will be coming on the 29th. So I told them, it may not be in time, so why don't you do a video call? And they did a video call to the daughter in Canada to talk to the mother. I asked her not to worry, I'll be on my way, but if the affinity is time to start, mommy, you just let go. And apparently, the family shared with me that when my sister talked to my mother, my mother was smiling all the time. So she had heard from this daughter, assured that she's coming. And after the video conference, patient passed on at night. The maid shared with me in the morning. She just slipped off and she was smiling. This is a deadly fact for her, according to a patient dying in the home with the family, the loved ones. I told the family before, though your mom is not talking, but she can hear. Thank her. Thank her for bringing you up and ask her for forgiveness, whatever you have done in the past. I love you. These are the words that comfort the patient. So this is also, to me, that I identify very well. Having conversations about death and dying is very difficult, especially with patients and caregivers. However, these conversations are essential in order to make sure that one's wishes and preferences are fulfilled. At times, disagreements may even arise due to differing opinions within the family. Can you share an example you've encountered before? I came across one lady, 91-year-old Amma, because the daughters are Christian and he is a Buddhist. She worried that she might not die according to her faith. So she bought her niche, she bought all the clothes and she prepared all the money. This is for funeral service, this was all this prepared in the cupboard. Because I'm the nurse, she shared. I say, how come you never tell your daughter? He says, because they are Christian, they might not want what I want. So I hope you can help me fulfill my wish. In that scenario, I felt that the patient is in distress. I stay with the patient for the next few days, every day coming. I told the daughter, do you know your mother told me something a couple of daughters was really don't know what to do. Open up a cupboard, everything is there. The clothes, the money, a place of rest, all this. Then she says, how do I go about it? Because I don't know all this. Then I guide her where the resting place is a, a temple. You go there, they know what to do. Because your mother has prepared for herself. I told the daughter, if she pass on, okay, you will try to do according to the rights of respect your mother. And true enough, the next day at the wake, the neighbours in that block who came to visit told her, her daughter, you're a good daughter, you respect what your mom is. Now, are there sensitive topics that you think should be brought up more often? And how do you think such conversations could be held better? During my visit, and I monitor patients according to their trend and their trend towards the end of life, I bring up more, talk to them, respect what their wishes, okay? So normally, in palliative, we explore first what they want, what their wishes, what they want, how their funeral rights to be. Some people may be open to share. Some relatives no. Don't talk about it. I'm not really ready to talk about that. So we do family conferences. Get everybody to understand what you want. There's one scenario when the patient is breathless, the family will send to the hospital. Every time my mother goes to the hospital, my mother come back okay. But do you know that your mom fear hospital? Go to hospital, take blood, drip everything. The pain. But your mother wish to be at home. Don't want any more treatment. So 
after sharing with them doing a family conference about what is their mother's wishes all this the family came to a good closure that they agree I think you are right we think we should respect mom's wishes after the family conference I get the family to say that we will not send to the hospital assure her that you will be at home and it's very interesting after the family all go and ask for visas tell mom not to worry and this family was Buddhist? in Buddhism ah that's reincarnation. Maybe next time I'll meet you again. This is what they say. And after saying goodbye and whatnot, patient passed away the next two hours. That means she's at peace that the family has reassured her of all this. Dealing with death and dying daily must have its challenges. How do you handle being around patients at the very end of their lives? I prefer to journey with patients at the terminal age, fulfilling their wish to pass on at home. And also ensure that the family is well prepared. Like last month, I have eight deaths. One of the patients already asked me, Sister Nancy, almost every month you are seeing death. How do you feel? I say, actually, when the patient passed away, I feel very peaceful. I just wish them blessings, that's all. So how do you decompress from this? By wishing them good journey to wherever it is. This is my character, this is my passion, this is my journey towards the end of life that I have made a vow to help people in it. Thank you very much, Nurse Nancy. To some, a good death is to die with dignity, especially after having a dignified life. Now, the topic of dignity and death is complex. Through the sharing of our three guests, we hope we've helped to create a deeper understanding of why it's so important for patients to be able to leave well at the end of their lives. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Live Well, Leave Well podcast from the Singapore Hospice Council. Do subscribe to our podcast on your podcast app so you'll be notified when we have a new episode. Do share this podcast with someone who you think will appreciate knowing more about our work in palliative care. You can learn more at our website, singaporehospice.org.sg.